0: Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzen. Noah was exhausted. Ugh. He has to get out of bed and start this again and he probably just said, "You know what? I'm going to sleep for a little longer when his alarm went off and he shut it off. I'm just going to sleep for one more hour. And then he felt the cold, bony foot of Mrs. Noah in his back. And she's like, get out of bed. Get working. Come on. You got to get this done. And he's like, oh, it's so hard. He gets out of bed, opens the curtains, and stares out at the wooden monstrosity ahead of him. Ugh. I wonder if Noah ever got discouraged. I mean, he worked on this thing for 120 years. Can you imagine working on one project for 120 years? And I wonder if some days it was just hard to get up and to get working on it. Because I sometimes wonder if Noah looked at it and said, this just looks like a big barn. When I look at this and Am I sure that this is what God wants me to do? Then I can imagine he goes into the kitchen and gets his coffee and then walks out to the worksite and stares at the big, huge barn and wonders I'm following Yahweh. I'm obeying him. But man, I sure hope this is right. Sometimes I get discouraged in the moment, and I don't know if this is right, Yahweh, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. And I can imagine he looks at the newspaper of the day and flips open to the latest headlines and, Insane Man Building Large Boat in Yard. Check out Story Today. I wonder if people came from far and wide to check out this massive boat that Noah was building. And did Noah call it a boat? And I wonder if people came from miles and miles around just to make fun of him. Thinking, what is this thing? I wonder if his neighbors started to sell tickets. Come check out insane man who builds boat in the middle of the dry land where there is no sea. It's amazing. You know, and I can imagine people come from miles around just to see this. But not only that, he looks at the headline and headline after headline. That's not making fun of him. Headline after headline is full of more and more sin, failure, stories that go against the very heart of God. And no one knew that. And I wonder if he got discouraged and he thought to himself, man, I feel very alone. Is this worth it? You've ever felt alone in your stand for God, and if you've ever felt, is it worth it to obey God when it would be so much simpler just to give in and go along with the rest of the crowd? If you have ever felt that, well, have I got a story for you? I can imagine it took Noah 120 years to build the ark, and I wondered, year one. He starts off pretty strong, pretty encouraged. But I wonder if year 70, year 75, year 100, if Noah starts to get discouraged. But Noah, it says there in Genesis 6, did all that God commanded him. He did it indeed, one version says. Basically, at the end of Genesis 6, it's repeating this idea that Noah obeyed God. Yes, he obeyed God. He just did what God told him him to do man what a way to live the christian life just obey god no matter what the circumstances tell you no matter how insane it seems to be just obey him trust him obey god that's the key to the christian life see it took him 120 years but year one god came to noah and said i want you noah to build an ark. Now the word ark basically means container, vessel. It doesn't mean boat. God just came to him and says, I want you to build a vessel. I want you to build a container. The only other time this Hebrew word for ark is used is in Exodus, where Moses, as a baby, is put into this little basket and has floated in the River Nile. Well, that little basket is the Hebrew word for ark. It's this container. It's this vessel. So God comes to him and says, hey, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And Noah's like, all right, let's do this. Now, Noah had been and was a worshiper of Yahweh. And it says in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And when Yahweh looked down on earth, which probably was about 3 billion to 7 billion, this was a massive amount of people. When he looked down on earth at that time, when he looked inside everybody's heart, everybody's mind, everybody's thoughts, all he saw was evil continually. Everywhere he looked. That man thought evil thoughts, that woman thought evil thoughts, that child thought evil thoughts. They all thought of themselves, of sin, of, hey, how we can achieve the next thing for me, me, me. But on top of that, he was dealing with supernatural transgression of the most horrible fist-in-your-face-towards-God kind remember we talked about last time how these supernatural sons of little g god came down and broke their supernatural realm and came into the human realm and mated with women because they found them beautiful had children which are called nephilim these men of renown and this was bad supernatural transgression of the worst kind and sin was running rampant because of this demonic activity genesis 6 says these demons they're going to be judged and chained in pits of gloomy darkness for eternity for what they did but ultimately man humanity men women you're without excuse You chose to turn your back on Yahweh. You chose to follow the spiritual line of Cain and pursue you and yourself. You opened yourself up to this supernatural evil activity. You allowed it to happen. It's your fault. It's your choice. And throughout the planet, God saw that nobody chose God except one man. In his family. It says in Genesis 6 that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, talk about being alone of the billions and billions of people on the planet. You're it. You are the only one standing for God. Because it says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he walked with the Lord that phrase walked with god is later on used in first samuel to convey this idea of men rubbing shoulders with other men you know david's troops were together they walked with each other they rubbed shoulders and i just think that's a neat concept noah found favor because he rubbed shoulders with god he knew him intimately. He listened to Yahweh. He rubbed shoulders with Yahweh. He knew his God and he walked with him day after day. Wouldn't that be great to be said of you? Man, I struggled just to get out 10 to 15 minutes worth of devotions every day. Well, it says that Noah walked with the Lord. And thankfully, Noah's family also walked with the Lord. And I just think that's a neat idea how Noah, the head of the family, the father, he followed the Lord, and guess what? He had a son named Ham, he had a son named Shem, and he had a son named Japheth. And they also followed the Lord. And Mrs. Noah, we never know her name, but Mrs. Noah also seemed to follow the Lord. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth eventually got married, and their wives also followed the Lord. So eight people eventually got on the boat. Eight people followed God. So God looks at this planet and he looks at the divine transgression of these evil supernatural beings. And he says, enough is enough. I've got to wipe this out. I'm sad. i got to start all over again. And so he comes to Noah and he says, listen, I'm going to have to send a flood I'm going to have to send a a flood that's going to wipe out every living thing on this planet. It actually says there in Genesis 6 that every breathing thing, every animal that breathes, that takes in oxygen, guess what? It's going to be wiped out. I'm going to have to start again. It's interesting too, he says that the reason he's doing it is because man has become so corrupt Also, they've corrupted the earth, and that word corrupted conveys this idea of destroyed. They've not only corrupted themselves, they've lived in such a way that they began to destroy God's good earth. Their evil lives were corrupting the things around them to the point where they were destroying things. God says, I've got to wipe this out before it gets even worse. And with this divine transgression, I've got to stop this. And so Noah, I'm sending a flood. But Noah, I want to make a covenant with you and your family, because through you eight people, I am going to preserve the rest of humanity. Man, I wonder if Noah thought, well, how are you going to do that, God? What's going to happen? he says, well, first of all, I'm going to wipe out everything by sending a flood. And Noah's like, oh, cool, a flood. Uh, What's exactly a flood again? Maybe Noah knew about a lake. Maybe he heard of some oceans. Back then, the world was one huge landmass, and we don't really hear about oceans. We hear about the Euphrates River and some of those other rivers there in the Garden of Eden. But Noah would not have heard of enough water to make a flood. And I wonder if he wondered... How is God going to wipe out the whole world with that much water? Well, I just got to believe him. I've got to obey him. Remember, it says at the end of Genesis chapter 6 that Noah obeyed. Noah obeyed. So Noah said, I don't maybe particularly understand this. You're going to wipe everything out, but save my family? All right, I'm on board. Let's do this. And then God says, all right, Noah, we are going to help your family live by building an ark all right god let's build this vessel let's build this container what is it gonna look like all right noah write this down okay i got this all right listen this container is going to be our god actually says to noah 300 cubits long Noah's like, all right, 300 cubits. What's a cubit? Let me work that out. All right. All right, here we go. 300, 450 feet long. Wow. Wow. That's long. That's the length of one and a half American football fields. That is long. Do you know nothing as big as the Ark was built again until the 1850s? That's amazing. No ship even came close to this size. So I can't imagine if Noah had to sit down and go 450 feet. I was hoping to build it in my driveway. Now I've gotta buy land and buy two basic football fields, three if I'm how am I gonna do that? And then God says, Alright, I want you to make this 75 feet wide. Wow. I don't know if I can do this, God. This is huge. This thing is going to be massive. Oh, my goodness. How tall is this thing going to be? God said, I want this to be 30 cubits high. And Noah is thinking, 30 cubits high. 30 cubits high. <sighs> That's 45 feet high. That's taller than a three-story building. I can imagine Noah looks up. That's huge. Three stories high. Why do you need to build something this big? It's like a huge barn that's going to float Yes, God says, I need you to make this, and I need you to make it with three floors, a lower, an upper, and a middle. Okay, three floors, yeah, that'll work. And then I need you to make a roof, and there's going to be a hole in that roof, and the sun's going to come through that roof. That's the only window you're going to get. Oh, and I do need you, Noah, to build a door in the side of the ark. Okay, okay. So what am I building this out of? Noah thinks. God says, "No, I want you to build it out of gopher wood, which we're not exactly certain what gopher wood is. The closest we can find is cypress wood, but it's going to be made out of this wood, and then I want you to smear it. The word pitch is this Hebrew word, idea of smearing, like you know, you smear cream cheese on a bagel. Well, you're going to have to take tar or pitch and put it all over the inside and outside of this ark." with three floors, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Noah's thinking, okay, this is great. This massive barn, essentially, that I'm making with a hole on the side. This is going to be a door and God, why am I doing this? Okay, a flood's going to come and wipe out everybody. Seriously, I don't need that much room for my family. There's only going to be eight of us. Maybe we can make this smaller, and I can imagine God says, Noah, listen, stop. I'm preserving you and your family. But I'm also going to preserve all the animals and all the food that you're going to need to survive during this massive flood. Noah's like, oh, I get it. You're going to save me and my family, plus all the animals you need to start a new world after the flood's over? Exactly, God says to Noah. You are going to have to collect two by two, male and female every type of animal that breathes air you can skip the fish because they can swim in water but every other type of animal that breathes air every bird every land animal every creeping animal you've got to get them on the ark two by two male and female because we have got to save the world noah's thinking how in the world am I going to get that many animals on the ark? How is this gonna work? And I wonder if Noah, year two or year one began to stress and he's like, nope, I have got to live and obey him no matter what. Talk about faith. Hebrews 11 uses Noah's life as an example of what it means to live by faith. He was building this vessel, this ark, but he'd never really seen a boat of that size before, and he'd maybe even never seen a boat. Maybe he wasn't even near the ocean. The sense is he's building this boat in the middle of a dry area with no water nearby. Talk about faith. And then he's got to get animals on the ark? Talk about faith. And then it says that Noah built this big wooden barn on a boat for 120 years. Year one, I can imagine, he sets out and writes the plans. Year two, he starts to get... The men and women that are going to help him build it. Year three, he finds the land where he can build the thing. Year four, he starts chopping down gopher wood tree after gopher wood tree. Year five, he starts to collect wood to the site and he starts building. 120 years, he worked by faith. He got up every day and went to the worksite by faith. He dealt with the problems of the workers by faith. He dealt with his mocking neighbors by faith. And then you know what else he did by faith? It says in 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Imagine this, by faith, after he got done working on the boat, working on the ark, I think he went down to the town center, stood up on a bench somewhere, and began to preach to the people to repent, to pursue righteousness, to follow Yahweh, to stop following these demonic little g-gods, to stop pursuing self, to stop pursuing the flesh. Every day is the only person following Yahweh, he caught up and he preached day after day. I think he wrote editorials to the local newspaper, to the national newspaper. He probably tried to get as much TV time as he could back then. He was a preacher of righteousness day after day for 120 years. He did that by faith. And you know how many people were converted? Just eight. Him and seven others. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been to worship Yahweh? Once a week, maybe he led in the worship of Yahweh and people could come and join and nobody came but his family. And day after day, he preached and he preached. and Nothing happened. The one thing I will say that I think works in Noah's favor is Ham listened, Shem listened, Japheth listened. Mrs. Noah listened. It says that Noah was 500 years old when Ham, Shem, and Japheth were born. And it's around that time as when he started building the ark. And I think he started building that ark when the boys were little and as they grew up and he told them of Yahweh and of following him and then they saw in their dad that he's not a hypocrite and that he actually follows through and does what he says he believes And they looked at Mrs. Noah, their mom, and again, the same thing. She followed Yahweh and wasn't a hypocrite and did what she believed. They were like, I want that too. Because can you imagine the pull on Ham, Shem, and Japheth when they went off to junior high, high school? When everybody on the planet thinks your dad is nuts and follows other gods rather than Yahweh. Can you imagine the pull on them to go after other things? but they didn't. They followed their dad. And I think, you know, that's a reminder all of us fathers, all of us mothers. God says to go out and make disciples of nations, right? Well, I think one of the best places to start making disciples is in your own home. Do your kids follow the Lord? Do your kids see a dad and a mom who's not a hypocrite, but who says, I'm going to obey God no matter what? And kids, obey God with me. It makes sense. Here, let me show you why. As best you can, you do what's right. And when you do fail, you ask God to forgive you. And then you tell your kids, hey, I'm sorry, I I failed there. Let me try this again got to build disciples in your own family. And then when Ham, Shem, and Japheth got married, their wives also were like, this makes sense, and, and I want to follow Yahweh. At the end of 120 years of preaching and preaching and preaching, the only people that followed were his family, those eight people. But the thing is, what the people didn't know is that judgment was coming. And the thing is that no one knew that judgment was coming. But think about it. For 120 years, I wonder if he doubted. I wonder if he lost some faith some days. But he trusted in God, and he knew that despite the circumstances, I have got to trust Yahweh more than anything around me. And if he says judgment is coming, and I've got to build this boat to avoid this judgment, I have got to do that. So nearing that 120-year end, how in the world is Noah going to get all those animals on the ark? And how many animals would you need? Well, it's interesting. It says in the book of Genesis that God wanted two animals of every kind on the ark. So you don't need every species of dog. You don't need every species of bird. You only need one species of the dog kind, one species of cat to produce other kinds. Authorities on taxonomy, which is the study of animal kinds, estimate that there are less than 18,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians alive today. So 18,000. If you include a larger number for animals and and mammals and birds that have gone extinct, the ark would need to hold about, some experts estimate, about 75,000 different animal kinds. So what they look at is the dimensions of the ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. When they look at that, they think, given that dimension easily this ark could hold about 125,000 animals. So you only need 75,000 animals to reproduce all the kinds that are gonna come out of that. But the ark could hold up to 125,000 animals. And so since the average size of land animals is less than that of a sheep, no more than 60% of the ark would be needed to hold the animals. And if you get the animals when they're babies, not as adults, full grown, but as little babies, you probably need even less room. So you only need about 60% of the ark, and the rest of the ark can be used for storage, for food, for water. And you know the other interesting thing about the ark is that proportionally, its length is 10 times its height and 6 times its width. And if you take those dimensions, it's the exact proportions that are used when they make modern cargo ships. This huge, massive boat, which again, they wouldn't build anything as big until the 1800s. You'd only need about 60% of it to hold all the different animal kinds you need to reproduce life after the flood. But still you got the problem. How is Noah going to get them on? Well, I can imagine a couple months before the end of the hundred and twenty years, Noah wakes up Ugh. He opens his curtains to look out at the ark and whoa, what is that? I can't see what is there a cloud? there's some gray? Is it still dark? Is it daylight savings time? what what time I can't see I, what and then he's oh, it's something in front of the window. It's wrinkly gray, and what is that? And he runs out, and rawr, you see something with a long nose, big flappy ears. This massive animal, with gray, sort of wrinkly. It's it's an it's an elephant. There's Mister and Missus Elephant. And then maybe the next day, rawr, a lumbering. And he sits down quietly, you know, while Noah's trying to saw some wood. He looks over, and it is the scariest-looking grizzly bear you can imagine. But it's Mr. and Mrs. Bear, and they just sit there, quietly eat, quietly sit, getting along with the elephant, and then maybe the next day comes a tiger, Mr. and Mrs. Tiger. And then the next day, boing, 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 here comes Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo. And then the next day, boing, 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 here comes Mr. and Mrs. Rabbit. And here comes some ugh, some sort of frogs, boing, boing, boing. Noah didn't have to go out and find the animals. Instead, slowly over time, the animals came to Noah. It says right there in Genesis chapter 7 that Noah was waiting on the ark and the Lord brought the animals to him. Pairs of animals came to Noah on the ark. This is one of the greatest miracles of all time. Nowhere does it talk about Noah going out and trapping these animals and dragging them in. It says that these animals came to Noah. Can you imagine? It's like that scene from The Lion King when all these animals show up at this pride rock to see the baby lion becomes the new prince. They know where to go, you know? It's the same thing with the ark. These animals just show up. I wonder what the neighbors thought when a big turkey came in or a big albatross landed and, you know, and pooped on the neighbor's car. And they're like, whoa, what is that? What are these animals showing up and they maybe started to flood the town? And I also think God probably kept them under control so the bear didn't eat the elephant, so the tiger didn't eat the rabbit. That must have been encouraging to what you would think. And that also must have been an eye opener to the people who weren't listening, who rejected him again and again. And finally, at the end of the 120 years, he's built the ark. And God says to Noah in Genesis chapter 7, the flood is about to come. Get on that ark. So for the next seven days, Noah got on the ark and so did the animals. And I can imagine they lined up in a nice row. Again, I think God kept everything orderly and neat. Again, one of the most amazing miracles of all time. The elephant walks up to the lower floor, finds its cage, gets down. The rabbit maybe gets all the way up to the third floor. The bird maybe flies up a little bit and finds his cage in the second or third floor. And animal after animal gets on the ark. And I think Noah at night goes out and preaches and preaches. Because he knows he's got seven days left before the flood's coming. Seven days before judgment. People, listen. The Lord is sending a judgment. Get on the ark. We have room. And you would think the people would wake up. What do you think all these animals in the middle of your city are here for? Do you think I'm making all this up? But they didn't listen. And I bet they mocked him even harder. I bet they mocked him even worse. And finally on the seventh day, the last rabbit, boing boing bing, gets on the ark. And God shut. Boom. The door of the ark. It's shut. It's completely done. I can imagine the people are standing, looking at this for the past seven days. One guy says, looks like a big barn to me. Yeah. So now Noah's in there with all the animals in his barn. (laughs) They all start laughing. And they all start, oh, he's got some food. Yeah. But what are they going to do with there? Can you imagine the mess they're going to have to clean up? It's going to be funny watching him walk out of there when nothing happens. And then bloop first person feels a whoa what's on my head bloop what what is the bloop water is falling out bloop 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 water is falling out of the sky see the people have never seen this it says in genesis chapter 2 that back in that time in the garden of eden A mist would come up and water everything. It seems like everything was watered from underground. They didn't have rain falling on things. And I think even after the fall, even though sin cursed the world back then, it seems like things were watered from underneath. Because it says there in Genesis chapter 2 that the people had not experienced rain yet. And here Noah is on a boat. And he told them a flood is coming, but the people have no clue how that could work. And then the rain, bloop, 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 starts to fall. And people are thinking, what is this? And then the people look up. And then the most amazing thing happens. The most frightening thing they've ever ever seen well if you come back next week we're gonna find out what that was but the thing i want to end with is this some of you are like the people in noah's day you've heard the gospel message over and over and over again You've heard it preached on the radio. You've heard it on this podcast. You've heard it from your mom and dad. You've heard it from your wife. You've heard it from your husband. You've heard it from your family. You've heard it over and over and over again. And like the people in Noah's day, you reject it and you ignore it and you don't listen to it. Later on, Jesus in the book of Matthew says, you know, when he returns, it's going to be like in the days of Noah, and what he's referring to is people were getting married, people just went on with life like God's judgment wasn't coming, and then the flood burst open and came. And these people were just going on and on about their life, ignoring Noah's message of God's judgment coming. Well, it's the same thing today. Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for your sins then he defeated death and he rose again and he offers this free salvation simply this believe that I am God put your faith and trust in me Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but through me put your faith and trust in me peter said on the day of pentecost all call upon the name of the lord shall be saved ask me to save you I will And he offers this free gift of salvation over and over and over again. And all you have to do is accept it. But if you don't, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Jesus will return and he will judge you. And he's going to judge this earth and he's going to bring righteousness and peace And if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are metaphorically on the ark. You are protected by Jesus. You're saved. But if you reject him and you haven't asked him to save you, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not rubbing shoulders with him, if you act like your life doesn't even need him in it, guess what? You don't know him. And when that judgment comes, you're going to be wiped out. You're going to spend eternity separated from God forever. So I plead with you. Listen to Noah. Listen to the gospel. Receive it today. And then the second thing I want to say is if you are following God and if you are doing your best and you are getting discouraged and you are starting to lose faith, don't give up. Keep pushing on. Somebody said that Noah's life can be summed up in terms of a long walk in an obedient direction. He endured. His life of faith was endurance. He obeyed God when he was the only one. Do what's right. Obey the word of God. Follow what the Bible says. Don't give in to the culture and those around you. If scripture says it, if God says, this is what I want of my disciples... Then do it, even if the world says you're nuts. Because the life of Noah shows it is better to follow Yahweh and His Son Jesus than to follow any other thing. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.